Section seven of the Book of Halloween by Ruth Edna Kelly, read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Chapter seven, Halloween beliefs and customs in Ireland. Ireland has a literature of Halloween, or Samhain, as it used to be called. Most of it was written between the seventh and the twelfth centuries, but the events were thought to have happened while paganism still ruled in Ireland. The evil powers that came out at Samhain lived the rest of the time in the cave of Cruachan in Connaught, the province which was given to the wicked Fomer after the battle of Moitura. This cave was called the Gate Hell of Ireland, and was unlocked on November Eve to let out spirits and copper-colored birds, which killed the farm animals. They also stole babies, leaving in their place changelings, goblins who were old in wickedness while still in the cradle, possessing superhuman cunning and skill in music. One way of getting rid of these demon children was to ill-treat them so that their people would come for them, bringing the right ones back, or one might boil eggshells in the sight of the changeling, who would declare his demon nature by saying that, in his centuries of life, he had never seen such a thing before. Brides, too, were stolen. You shall go with me, newly married bride, and gaze upon a merrier multitude, white-armed Nuala and Angus of the birds, and Fiacra of the hurtling foam, and him who is the ruler of the western host, Finvara, and the land of heart's desire, where beauty has no ebb, decay no flood, but joy is wisdom, time an endless song. Yeats, Land of Heart's Desire In the first century B.C. lived Elil and his queen Medib. As they were celebrating their Samhain feast in the palace, three days before Samhain at all times, and three days after, by ancient custom, did the hosts of high aspiration continue to feast for the whole week. O'Caron, Loch Garman. They offered a reward to the man who should tie a bundle of twigs about the feet of a criminal who had been hanged by the gate. It was dangerous to go near dead bodies on November Eve, but a bold young man named Nera dared it, and tied the twigs successfully. As he turned to go, he saw the whole of the palace as if on fire before him, and the heads of the people of it lying on the ground, and then he thought he saw an army going into the hill of Kurakan, and he followed after the army. Gregory, Kulaklain of Merthim. The door was shut. Nera was married to a fairy woman, who betrayed her kindred by sending Nera to warn King Elil of the attended attack upon his palace the next November eve. Nera bore summer fruits with him to prove that he had been in the fairy Sid. The next November eve, when the doors were opened, Elil entered and discovered the crown, emblem of power, took it away, and plundered the treasury. Nera never returned again to the homes of men. Another story of about the same time was that of Angus, the son of a Tuatha god, to whom in a dream a beautiful maiden appeared. He wasted away with love for her, and searched the country for a girl who should look like her. At last he saw in a meadow among a hundred and fifty maidens, each with a chain of silver about her neck, one who was like the beauty of his dream. She wore a golden chain about her throat, and was the daughter of King Ethel Anbuel. King Ethel's palace was stormed by Elil, and he was forced to give up his daughter. He gave as a reason for withholding his consent so long, that on Samhain Princess Kerr changed from a maiden to a swan, and back again the next year. And when the time came, Angus went to the lock, and he saw the three times fifty white birds there with their silver chains about their necks, and Angus stood in a man's shape at the edge of the lock, and he called to the girl, "'Come and speak with me, O Kerr.' "'Who is calling me?' said Kerr. "'Angus calls you,' he said. 
and if you do come, I swear by my word I will not hinder you from going into the lock again. Gregory, Cuculain of Marathimna. She came, and he changed into a swan likewise, and they flew away to King Dagda's palace, where every one who heard their sweet singing was charmed into a sleep of three days and three nights. Princess Etan, of the race of the Tuatha, and wife of Midir, was born again as the daughter of Queen Medib, the wife of Elil. She remembers a little of the land from which she came, and is never quite happy, even when she wins the love of King Eketh. But sometimes, sometimes, tell me, have you heard, by dusk or moonset, have you never heard, sweet voices, delicate music, never seen the passage of the lordly beautiful ones, men call the she? Sharp, immortal hour. When they have been married a year, there comes Midir from the land of youth. By winning a game of chess from the king, he gets anything he may ask, and prays to see the queen. When he sees her, he sings a song of longing to her, and Ekhof is troubled because it is Samhain, and he knows the great power the hosts of the air have, then over those of those who wish for happiness. Eten, speak! What is the song the harper sings? What tongue is this he speaks? For in no Gaelic lands is speech like this upon the lips of men. No word of all these honey-dripping words is known to me. Beware, beware the words, brewed in the moonshine under ancient oaks, white with pale banners of the mistletoe, twined round them in their slow and stately death. It is the feast of Savine. Sowing. Sharp, immortal hour. In vain, Echoch pleads with her to stay with him. She has already forgotten all but Midir and the life so long ago in the land of youth. In the land of youth... There are pleasant places, green meadows, woods, swift grey-blue waters. There is no age there, nor any sorrow. As the stars in heaven are the cattle in the valleys. Great rivers wander through flowery plains. Streams of milk, of mead, streams of strong ale. There is no hunger and no thirst in the hollow land, in the land of youth. Sharp, immortal hour. She and Midir fly away in the form of two swans, linked by a chain of gold. Cuculain, hopelessly sick of a strange illness brought on by Fand and Leban, fairy sisters, was visited the day before Samhain by a messenger, who promised to cure him if he would go to the other world. Cuculain could not make up his mind to go, but sent Leg, his charioteer. Such glorious reports did Leg bring back from the other world, that Cuculain went thither, and championed the people there against their enemies. If all Erin were mine, and the kingship of Yellow Breccia, I would give it no trifling deed, to dwell for I in the place I reached. Cuculain's sickbed, Meyer translation. He stayed a month with Fairy Fand. Emmer, his wife at home, was beset with jealousy, and plotted against Fand, who had followed her hero home. Fand, in fear, returned to her deserted husband. Emmer was given a druidic drink to drown her jealousy, and Cuculain another to forget his infatuation, and they lived happily ever afterward. Even after Christianity was made the vital religion in Ireland, it was believed that places not exercised by prayers and by the sign of the cross were still haunted by Druids. As late as the fifth century, the Druids kept their skill in fortune-telling. King Dathi got a Druid to foretell what would happen to him from one Halloween to the next, and the prophecy came true. Their religion was now declared evil, and all evil, or at any rate suspicious things, were assigned to them or to the devil as followers. Mer Bruin are not they likewise the children of God? Father Hart. Colleen, they are the children of the fiend, and they have power until the end of time, 
when God shall fight with them a great pitched battle, and hack them into pieces. Yeats, Land of Heart's Desire The power of fairy music was so great that St. Patrick himself was put to sleep by a minstrel who appeared to him on the day before Samhain. The Tuatha de Danann, angered at the renegade people who no longer did them honor, sent another minstrel, who, after laying the ancient religious seat Terra under a twenty-three years' charm, burned up the city with his fiery breath. These infamous spirits dwelt in grassy mounds, called forts, which were the entrances to underground palaces full of treasure, where was always music and dancing. These treasure-houses were only open on November Eve, when the throngs of spirits, fairies, and goblins trooped out for revels about the country. For the fairy mounds of Erin are always opened about Halloween. Expedition of Nera, Meyer Translation The old druid idea of obsession, the besieging of a person by an evil spirit, was practiced by them at that time. This is the first day of winter, and today the hosts of the air are in their greatest power. Warren, Twig of Thorn If the fairies wished to seize a mortal, which power they had as the sun-god could take men to himself, they caused him to give them certain tokens by which he delivered himself into their hands. They might be milk and fire. Mary Bruin. A little queer old woman cloaked in green, who came to beg a porringer of milk. Bridget Bruin. The good people go asking milk and fire upon May Eve. Woe to the house that gives, for they have power over it for a year. Yeats, Land of Heart's Desire. Or one might receive a fairy thorn such as Una brings home, which shrivels up at the touch of St. Bridget's image. Oh, ever since I kept the twig of thorn and hid it, I have seen strange things, and heard strange laughter, and far voices calling. Warren, Twig of Thorn Or one might be lured by music as he stopped near the fort to watch the dancing, for the revels were held in secret, as those of the druids had been, and no one could look on them unaffected. A story is told of Paddy Moore, a great, stout, uncivil churl, and Paddy Begg, a cheerful little hunchback. The latter, seeing lights and hearing music, paused by a mound, and was invited in. Urged to tell stories, he complied. He danced as spryly as he could for his deformity. He sang and made himself so agreeable that the fairies decided to take the hump off his back, and send him home a straight manly fellow. The next Halloween, who should come by the same place but Paddy Moore, and he stopped likewise to spy at the merrymaking. He too was called in, but would not dance politely, added no stories nor songs. The fairies clapped Paddy Begg's hump on his back, and dismissed him under a double burden of discomfort. A lad called Gulish, listening outside a fort on Halloween, heard the spirits talking of the fatal illness of his betrothed, the daughter of the King of France. They said that if Gulish but knew it, he might boil an herb that grew by his door and give it to the princess and make her well. Joyfully, Gulish hastened home, prepared the herb, and cured the royal girl. Sometimes people did not have the luck to return, but were led away to a realm of perpetual youth and music. Father Hart. What are you reading? Mary Bruin. How a princess, Eden, a daughter of a king of Ireland, heard a voice singing on a May Eve like this, and followed, half awake and half asleep, until she came into the land of fairy, where nobody gets old and godly and grave, where nobody gets old and crafty and wise, where nobody gets old and bitter of tongue, and she is still there, busied with a dance, deep in the dewy shadow of a wood, or where the stars walk upon a mountain-top. Yeats, Land of Heart's Desire If one returned, 
he found that the space which seemed to him but one night had been many years, and with the touch of earthly sod the age he had postponed suddenly weighed him down. Ossian, released from fairyland after three hundred years' dalliance there, rode back to his own country on horseback. He saw men imprisoned under a block of marble and others trying to lift the stone. As he leaned over to aid them the girth broke. With the touch of earth straightway the white horse fled away on his way home, and Ossian became aged, decrepit, and blind. No place as much as Ireland has kept the belief in all sorts of supernatural spirits abroad among its people. From the time when the hill of Ward, near Terra, in pre-Christian days, the sacrifices were burned and the Tuatha were thought to appear on Samhain, to as late as 1910, testimony to actual appearance of the little people is to be found. Among the usually invisible races which I have seen in Ireland, I distinguish five classes. There are gnomes, who are earth spirits, and who seem to be a sorrowful race. I once saw some of them distinctly on the sign of Ben Bulban. They had rather round heads and dark, thick-set bodies, and in stature were about two and one-half feet. The leprechauns are different, being full of mischief, though they too are small. I followed a leprechaun from the town of Wicklow out to the Siddha, rock of the fairies, a distance of half a mile or more, where he disappeared. He had a very merry face, and beckoned to me with his finger. A third class are the little people, who, unlike the gnomes and leprechauns, are quite good-looking, and they are very small. The good people are tall, beautiful beings, as tall as ourselves. They direct the magnetic currents of the earth. The gods are really the Tuatha de Danann, and they are much taller than our race. Whence? Fairy faith in Celtic countries. The sight of apparitions on Halloween is believed to be fatal to the beholder. One night my lady's soul walked along the wall like a cat. Long Tom Bowman beheld her, and that day week fell he into the well and was drowned. Pyle, Priest and the Piper One version of the jack-o'-lantern story comes from Ireland. A stingy man named Jack was, for his inhospitality, barred from all hope of heaven, and because of practical jokes on the devil was locked out of hell until the judgment day is condemned to walk the earth with a lantern to light his way. The place of the old lord of the dead, the Tuatha god Salmon, to whom vigil was kept and prayers said on November Eve for the good of departed souls, was taken in Christian times by St. Columba, or Columkill, the founder of a monastery in Ionia in the 5th century. In the 17th century the Irish peasants went about begging money and goodies for a feast, and demanding in the name of Columkill that fatted calves and black sheep be prepared. In place of the druid fires, candles were collected and lighted on Halloween, and prayers for the souls of the givers said before them. The name of Salmon is kept in the title Othic Samna, Vigil of Salmon, by which the night of October 31st was until recently called in Ireland. There are no Halloween bonfires in Ireland now, but charms and tests are tried. Apples and nuts, the treasure of Pomona, figure largely in these. They are representative winter fruits, the commonest. They can be gathered late and kept all winter. A popular drink at the Halloween gathering in the 18th century was milk in which crushed roasted apples had been mixed. It was called lamb's wool, perhaps from La Mas Uphol, the day of the apple fruit. At the Halloween supper, Kalkanen, mashed potatoes, parsnips, and chopped onions is indispensable. A ring is buried in it, and the one who finds it in his portion will be married in a year, or if he is already married, will be lucky. They had Kolkanen, and the funniest things were found in it, tiny dolls, mice, a pig made of china, silver sixpences, 
a thimble, a ring, and lots of other things. After supper was over, all went into the big playroom, and dived for apples in a tub of water, fished for prizes in a basin of flour. Then there were games. Trant. Halloween in Ireland. A coin betokened to the finder wealth, the thimble, that he would never marry. A ring and a nut are baked in a cake. The ring, of course, means early marriage. The nut signifies that its finder will marry a widow or a widower. If the colonel is withered, no marriage at all is prophesied. In Roscommon, in central Ireland, a coin, a sloe, and a bit of wood were baked in a cake. The one getting the sloe would live longest, the one getting the wood was destined to die within the year. A mould of flour turned out on the table held similar tokens. Each person cut off a slice with a knife, and drew out his prize with his teeth. After supper the tests were tried. In the last century nutshells were burned. The best-known nut test is made as follows. Three nuts are named for a girl and two sweethearts. If one burns steadily with the girl's nut, that lover is faithful to her. But if either hers or one of the other nuts starts away, there will be no happy friendship between them. Apples are snapped from the end of a stick hung parallel to the floor by a twisted cord, which whirls the stick rapidly when it is let go. Care has to be taken not to bite the candle burning on the other end. Sometimes this test is made easier by dropping the apples into a tub of water and diving for them, or piercing them with a fork dropped straight down. Green herbs called live-long were plucked by the children and hung up on Midsummer Eve. If a plant was found to be still green on Halloween, the one who had hung it up would prosper for the year, but if it had turned yellow or had died, the child would also die. Hempseed is sown across three furrows, the sower repeating, Hempseed, I saw thee, Hempseed, I saw thee, and her that is to be my true love, come after me and draw thee. On looking back over his shoulder, he will see the apparition of his future wife in the act of hemp-gathering. Seven cabbage stalks were named for any seven of the company, then pulled up, and the guests asked to come out, and see their souls. One, two, three, and up to seven. If all are white, all go to heaven. If one is black as Murtaugh's evil, he'll soon be screeching with the devil. Red Mike was a queer one from his birth, and no wonder, for he first saw the light atween dusk and dark a Halloween eve. When the cabbage test was tried at a party where Mike was present, six stalks were to be found white, but Mike's was all black and foul with worms and slugs, and with a real bad smell ahinted. Angered at the ridicule he received, I've the gift of the night, I have, and on this day my curse can blast whatever I choose. At that the priest showed Mike a crucifix, and he ran away howling, and disappeared through a bog into the ground. Sharp. Threefold Chronicle. Twelve of the party may learn their future, if one gets a clod of earth from the churchyard, sets up twelve candles in it, lights and names them. The fortune of each will be like that of the candlelight named for him, steady, wavering, or soon in darkness. A ball of blue yarn was thrown out of the window by a girl who held fast to the end. She wound it over her hand from left to right, saying the creed backwards. When she had nearly finished, she expected the yarn would be held. She must ask who holds, and the wind would sigh her sweetheart's name in at the window. In some charms the devil was invoked directly. If one walked about a rick nine times with a rake, saying, I rake this rick in the devil's name, a vision would come and take away the rake. If one went out with nine grains of oats in his mouth, and walked about until he heard a girl's name called or mentioned, he would know the name of his future wife, for they would be the same. Lead is melted and poured through a key or a ring into cold water. 
the form each spoonful takes in cooling indicates the occupation of the future husband of the girl who poured it. Now something like a horse would cause the jubilant maiden to call out, A dragoon! Now some dim resemblance to a helmet would suggest a handsome member of the mounted police, or a round object with a spike would seem a ship, and this, of course, meant a sailor, or a cow would suggest a cattle dealer, or a plough a farmer. Sharp, Threefold Chronicle After the future had been searched, a piper played a jig, to which all danced merrily with a loud noise to scare away the evil spirits. Just before midnight was the time to go out alone and unperceived to a south-running brook, dip a shirt-sleeve in it, bring it home, and hang it by the fire to die. One must go to bed, but watch till midnight for a sight of the destined mate, who would come to turn the shirt to dry the other side. Ashes were raked smooth on the hearth at bedtime on Halloween, and the next morning examined for footprints. If one was turned from the door, guests or a marriage was prophesied. If turned toward the door, a death. To have prophetic dreams a girl should search for a briar grown into a hoop, creep through thrice in the name of the devil, cut it in silence, and go to bed with it under her pillow. A boy should cut ten ivy leaves, throw away one, and put the rest under his head before he slept. If a girl leave beside her bed a glass of water with a sliver of wood in it, and say before she falls asleep, husband mine that is to be, come this night and rescue me, she will dream of falling off a bridge into water, and of being saved at the last minute by the spirit of her future husband. To receive a drink from his hand she must eat a cake of flour, soot, and salt before she goes to bed. The Celtic spirit of yearning for the unknown, retained nowhere else as much as in Ireland, is expressed very beautifully by the poet Yeats in the introduction to his Celtic twilight. The host is riding from Knocknera, and over the grave of Cluthnebear, Celt tossing his burning hair, and Neum calling, Away, come away, and brood no more when the fire is bright, filling thy heart with a mortal dream, for breasts are heaving and eyes agleam. Away, come away to the dim twilight, arms are heaving and lips apart, and if any gaze on our rushing band, we come between him and the deed of his hand, we come between him and the hope of his heart. The host is rushing twixt night and day, and where is the hope or deed as fair? Kelty tossing his burning hair, and Neum calling, Away, come away. End of section 7. Read by Professor Heather and By. For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.